Alright, in three, two, one. Welcome to the possum time. This is episode two of the possum times. Today we're gathered yeah. around the table to talk about the 2000 smash hit, perhaps one of the greatest adventures of our time, Dungeons and Dragons. And once again, I am... Uh, I'm Double T's, and I am joined by Pop Pop. Whatever. <laughs> the Red Bandit. Hey there. All right, guys, let's just dive right in. I, I know that the Red Bandit was taking scrupulous notes in the course of watching this film because there were a variety of themes and issues and morals kind of embedded in every aspect of this film. Uh, you can lead us off. Okay, there's... Quite a few different themes in this film. Um, the first was predestination. Can okay. you can you change your fate? Mm -hmm. um, the second was revolution. <laughs> it changes in social order. The, the third was equality mm -hmm. and social change. Mm -hmm. and it, the fourth it comes was around. Yeah. overcoming racial stereotypes. Mm. Uh, it's a very serious issue. Uh, hero's journey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Honor amongst thieves. Uh -huh. The balance between men and magic. Um, affection changes our priorities. And finally, rods and scepters. <laughs> That's the final theme. Well, I'm I'm actually gonna and uh, pop pop. Do you have any any themes you wanna throw in? I mean, the the big themes uh, for me were just. Um, Anger and dispiritedness uh, that I felt uh, when this when this movie kept going on and on. I mean, normally this was your personal personal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it enveloped yeah. you. I mean, it it, it definitely the did. Power of it definitely film. did. I mean, normally when when plots get complicated, I, I you know try to pay attention and stick with the plot. You know, uh, but with this movie, I just found myself not caring. There was um, nuance. Yeah, so every time I looked at the screen, something else was happening that confused me, or any number of new absurd characters. Can we just talk about just, how many characters there were in this movie? It yeah, was let's, ridiculous. Let's rattle, <laughs> let's rattle down their, the list of characters and their interests. <laughs> Profion, Damador, Ridley Freeborn. Uh -huh. There's a little... Uh, Oh, that's his last name. Freeborn. How fitting. How like fitting Gordon indeed. Like Freeman in, in uh, Half-Life 2. He's born Except Half-Life 2 was actually pretty compelling. Snails. <laughs> Asmath. Someone named Mage. Empress Savina. Mm -hmm. Vilden Vildir. Mm -hmm. Marina Pretensa. Yeah. Elwood Gutworthy. Elwood. <laughs> Norda. Orc Norda. number one. Yep. Orcs. Plural. Um, <laughs> Were there orcs in this movie? Yeah, Matthew O'Toole played orcs. Those are the little guys creeping around the whole time. Did they do anything? I don't remember no. the orcs. Uh, or maybe in the in the bar, in the tavern. They snarled a little bit. That okay, was about it. yeah, and they never was, saw the orcs uh, in action. Yeah. There was three eyes and Zillis. And I, I don't remember probably nine-tenths of those characters. The Red Bandit <laughs> remembers three eyes and his, and his uh, tasty lips. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of... Uh, Succulent lip smacking was going on. Oh, that three eyes, the, yeah, blue, the guy. blue guy. Yeah, see, I have no idea who he was or where they were when they met him or <laughs> why they met him, yeah, what role he had. All I know is it made me feel uncomfortable. Not only the lip thing, but also the way that I would flap. Yeah, the the vertical, uh, the vertical. Uh, His third eye. Eye. Yeah. Let's talk about costumes and and makeup because there was a lot going on here. I know 
Thora Birch, who captivated many audiences with her performance in American Beauty and, uh, and also in Ghost World, uh, I thought really truly delivered her breakout performance in this film as Queen Amidala. In this film, she, she's regal, she is, does a masterful job of enunciating the most important themes in parliamentary lush, debates. A luscious golden beard. She, <laughs> she, she looks wonderful in her uh, chainmail armor that extends below her chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, and but, she's a dragon rider. Yeah, but Nat Natalie Portman did it so much better. A, she was she was prettier to some degree. B, the costumes were far more creative. Uh, Thora Birch's just seemed like she had a dra she, she had a dragon just, claw. They just there was like a dragon a golden dragon claw cheap, growing out of the back of her cheap knockoffs. Both had equally annoying political speeches, interspersed they, unnecessarily throughout the entire yeah, movie. Yeah, they, they did, but at least Natalie Portman, like, it was, her, her delivery is compelling, this, like, flat sort of tonal <laughs> delivery. Mm -hmm. And when Thora Birch tried to, uh, to mimic it, it, it was terrible. And it made me want to throw my shoe at your screen. A pop, pop up. I think it'd be helpful for the audience if you could explain the nuance of the political intrigue in this film. I didn't really... I, I knew that Thora Birch was trying to, to save her, her position uh, against the, the sort of ambition of Jeremy Irons. Yes. Uh, but beyond that, I don't know who all those people were in that opera house. Um, I, I, I just don't... It all revolves around a large rod. Yeah, and the rod, like, why did they need a rod? Was it the rod that controlled the dragon? Was it the rod that kind of materialized out of thin air during the final battle? Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. Wow! <laughs> uh, was it the rod that materialized in Thor Birch's hand? Like, none of this was explained. Well, I th And if it was explained, I just didn't pay attention. So she had her golden rod that let her control the dragons, who we, were, we thought originally were bad, but are actually good. Okay. And she was pushing this sort of social change, mm -hmm. radical... Equality. So socialist agenda. <laughs> Through <laughs> dragons. On the good people of whatever planet they're on. Related to this rod talk, I thought one of the more sympathetic characters uh, in the great rod debate was the dwarf. Now, when we first meet the dwarf, he's destitute and homeless. He's, he's living in his own filth. He's literally in a garbage pile. He is in a garbage <laughs> pile, but it isn't any garbage pile. This is his home. Yeah. And we soon learn that uh, he's burrowed com a complex of tunnels underneath his trash pile. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it says a lot, uh, going back to one of your main themes, about, about the, the social situation in the kingdom of Ithmir. Uh, <laughs> And the stereotypes. I mean, how many stereotypical images of dwarves were portrayed in this movie? I just remember Gluttonous. one dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> Money-grubbing. Yeah. That's right, that's right. I mean, filth they hate elves. Yeah. I mean, the way that he treated that elf, there was discrimination. They like women with beards. Yeah, fat women. <laughs> or, no, what do you say, 250 pound? Yeah. There was, he gets a, little, it gets a little raunchy. It gets a little raunchy. Yeah. I mean, at one point, the dwarf turns to the audience and he says, what does this rod do? And I felt that that, you know, echoed the, the every man's thoughts as he was watching this. <laughs> but literally film. everyone in the audience is asking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I just want to back up a second if we're talking about typecasting here. What, what, 
what the hell were they thinking putting Marlon Wayans in this film is the only <laughs> black guy I mean every time uh, Wayans opened his mouth it was just some it was a stereotype uh, well it was just this absurd caricature of like you know slapstick black guy uh, which wasn't it wasn't even offensive it was just boring and, and sad um <laughs> You know, what was sad is when he dies. Well, well that's no. a spoiler alert. No. Yeah, no, 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 that's what I was going to say. How do you, you feel, uh, I mean, in a film about, that's effectively about social justice and equality, that no. the only character to die is the black man. No. I think it's, you know, it speaks to the realities in the world that we live in. You have a, that, dwar a dwarf in a garbage can and, and uh, the black character dies. When The black, you know, the funny black sidekick is killed. And it's, when societies fall into chaos, marginalized groups suffer the most. Mm. This is a dark, dark story indeed. <laughs> Something else that I, I thought was, was interesting is the evolution of the, the romance between Han Solo and Leia Organa, uh, <laughs> yeah. who were portrayed as a dashing rogue thief and a uh, uptight aristocratic mage. Yeah, yeah, from the, from the moment she hit the screen, I, I definitely had time for her. Um, I, I enjoyed her performance. Her costumes, you know, I think she would wear like a tattered vest and then something from J. Crew. I don't think that they put enough effort into. You could choke her. Yeah. Well, the, the choker was nice. The choker was nice. Uh, she also, um, I don't know. Her acting was okay. I guess. No. Except she cried too much. Yeah, I had a problem with her inconsistency. That like sometimes she was badass and would like cast a spell or hit someone with a torch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then other times she would just lay on the ground and do nothing. And cry. There was a lot of crying. I mean, both she and Ridley cried a great deal uh, in each other's arms. Something. Yeah. And this is this is where I thought things got very. Can we have a bleep button? In this, so you can bleep out any obscenities. Yeah, of course. Um, because there's a scene in which she is ear. <laughs> yes. And this that's is, an uncomfortable scene. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's very uncomfortable. I don't know how how Ridley feels about it. What did you think, Red uh, Bandit? Well, you know, her ears were violated in a very uh, unokay way, and uh... by a man with blue lipstick. <laughs> See, I liked that guy. Okay. Um, and I understood his sort of fall from fall from grace. Uh, I was a bit surprised that as soon I was expecting more relief on his part when um, the little you know brain worm yeah. uh, disappeared. It's a parasite. He's Wait, infected with an, a parasite. When he sort of comes clean to her and says, "I have to do this," was he just faking that? It's ambiguous. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I started really to have sympathy for his character yeah. that he had been forced into this position. Yeah, he was unwillingly doing you know these evil deeds. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then, as soon as that guy takes out his brain worm, they're just like buddies again. Yeah, maybe the sequel will answer. I don't know. Uh, yeah, the sequel came out many years later. It actually came out five years later, and I'm not sure if it has any of the same characters. But I'm, I'm certain that it would add to the depth of this film regardless. Something else that I wanted to, to talk about was the dragon fight at the end. I mean, it's a pretty intense battle with incredible special effects. I don't know <laughs> if I've seen anything quite like it. Um, mm. You can really lose yourself in the battle. I mean, Lord of the Rings has nothing on this. Yeah, uh, Thor Birch against a blue screen. That was, that was fantastic. No, she rides the dragon. She's riding around. She rides the dragon. I'm really worried for her. Yeah, I, you're concerned, but she, she's... She's got a, a great deal of skill in the way that she can maneuver the dragon. At one point, she steers it away, and it leads to two red dragons colliding head-on. Yeah. I mean, that's some Whoops. expert... <laughs> <laughs> I 
said it. Smack. Some expert piloting. Expert. During this whole during this whole scene, she's her face looks like she's staring out the window of the back seat of a car. I mean, there's absolutely no excitement from her. I I just yeah. I mean, she was she's just serene. One more rock in the avalanche of, of disappointment and frustration. She might have to film. medicate a little bit to get through the movie, that's <laughs> my guess. Another sequence that we haven't really touched on, and there are, there are a number of, of very engaging characters in this sequence, involves the, the thief guild and the maze. Oh. Now, I mean, here you meet one of the most Malkovich. despicable, yeah, yeah, oh god, yeah, one of the most despicable characters in motion picture history. <laughs> he keeps on hitting on the mage, what does he call her? Tasty morsel. <laughs> Delicious. Oh, oh, it's, it's, it's just filthy. And Ridley, you know, our, our hero, has to navigate a, a treacherous maze filled with traps around every corner. At the conclusion of the maze, we actually see a lovely homage to a slightly inferior film in Raiders of the Lost Ark, where he yeah. reaches this pedestal. A good film, but nothing like this. No, no, I mean, no. <laughs> you, see, you see his prize, the red dragon eye, on top of a pedestal, an ornately carved pedestal. And he really has to contemplate how he's going to remove it. And unlike Raiders, uh, in, this, in this film, he just picks it up and it's over. He wins. How many different objects did they have to secure? There was the, <laughs> the map, the dragon eye. What happened the, to that? What did the map do? The sword. <laughs> yeah, what did the, the map do? Like, they weren't <laughs> using a map the whole time. Like, they just magically found it. Like, they, 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 they warped into the map. They got warped into the map. Yeah. Something happened in the map. Yeah. Something that they didn't S want to talk about. Sparks flew. Yeah, I think so. I think all kinds of sparks. Affection was kindled. Uh, yeah, so wait, so you just said it. It was the dragon eye, the map, the sword, and the rods. Yeah. So there were a lot of... A, a lot whole of very long sequence of things that needed to be found. But they needed to find the sword? I thought the sword was just given to them randomly, utterly randomly, by like <laughs> little five-year-olds wearing like gazelle skulls. Like, what, what was that? <laughs> and the sword basically became a lightsaber at the end. Oh, it was <laughs> just... Do you think, now here's a more philosophical question, do you think that Ridley realized his potential by the end of the film? You know, that is one of the themes, hero's journey. Yeah. As in with Johnny Cage in Mortal Kombat. Right. The hero has to first believe in himself, mm -hmm. and then he can overcome the challenge and save the world. And I think he did. I think he found his confidence by the end of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Justin Whalen. I, I I don't know. He he wasn't that bad. He he kept reminding me of AC Slater. <laughs> when when he when he grabs that artifact from the pedestal, he says, you know, he looks at the camera. He says, "Nice." Yeah. And that's the way I felt about his performance. Just nice. You know, he nailed it. No, I get no. the the AC Slater thing, especially at the end where he's wearing the leather jacket. Yeah. With his three belts. He has a, yeah. <laughs> he, he's wearing three belts and a cut off T shirt. You can see his see his stomach. I miss you, snails. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, snails. Did you see snails as a cowardly idiot? You know, if you just look at it on the surface level, he looks like an idiot. Yeah. He looks like he contributes nothing to any of their adventures. Mm -hmm. But I think deep down, he does play an important role. Mm -hmm. He sort of guides the group together and provides them a moral foundation. He's the glue. Yeah. <laughs> he is the glue. And he makes the sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. 
And something that I was disappointed, now this was actually something that was cut out of the movie, but you can see it on the deleted scenes if you own the DVD, is that there is a much more developed romantic linkage between snails and the elven hunter. By Norda. The, Norda. Norda and snails. I mean, you can see the way that their, their love for each other grows in a, in a series of sequences that were unfortunately cut from the final print of the movie, but I think really strengthen the story and add yeah. to the tragedy of, of Snail's ultimate downfall. Because in the original presentation, Norda looks like she hates him the entire time, mm. and that never really changes. Mm. But there's a lot more going on. I mean, yeah, it's... it's Below the surface. And I feel like there's... It's a cauldron a, of emotion. And that, that probably relates to one of those themes. This whole, this whole movie, I feel like there's a lot going on just under the surface, and if only we had another... 60 to 90 minutes to explore that further. No. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing the way the, you know, these tough, I'm just in it for myself, thieves, mm -hmm. when they let their guard down, their priorities change. And it takes them on a wonderful journey. Also, there were a lot of skulls in this movie, so <laughs> randomly interplaced. Well, something that I thought was really fascinating about a Dungeons and Dragons movie is that the, the film actually opens in a dungeon with a dragon in it. Yeah. Did, was that lost on either of you? Just in case you didn't know what movie you were in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now let's talk a little bit about the antagonist in the movie, who was probably only on screen for about 12 minutes, <laughs> uh, which is Jeremy Irons. Profion. 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 He's, he's the bad guy. He's got evil designs to con conquer Ismir. Do we think he's that bad? Yes. He's very bad. He wants to harness the dragons, and I mean, only the queen can harness the dragons. If you look at it from a certain perspective, you could say the queen was really pushing an agenda on the rest of the kingdom. Yeah, no one wanted it. Upsetting no the no social one. order. Well, the only people that, that were, were skeptical were the, the high society, the mage council, mm -hmm. the Jedi council. And well, presumably, the, if their mandate is to advise the, the princess on how to run the country, and all of them are saying, no, you shouldn't do this, who who's the Herod, yeah. Herod was bigger. Who's the usurper? <laughs> yeah, you have to sell it with a, a battle of rods. Yeah, yeah. And in the end, her rod was was stronger. It was longer. They uh, crossed rods, but her rod prevailed. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And it took it took the uh, and again, this is a major spoiler alert. But it took the, it took the courage of Ridley to hoist his own rod high above yeah. his head. And then smash it down. That's he. He shattered. He smashed up his own that's rod. That's painful to smash your own rod. Is terrible. You could see when it was when it was held aloft, tall, <laughs> tall above. You know, proudly hoisted above his. I'm not going to say it right. <laughs> <laughs> when, when the when the rod was held aloft, uh, proudly above his head, there was a moment when you could see he he had harnessed the power. You know, it was and it was pulsing. Him. Yeah, it was just pulsing through him, and you knew that it was going to explode one way or the other, and ultimately it, it, it exploded with his smashing of his own rod. One of the things in this movie is it's really a really penetrating commentary. Thing. <laughs> Penetrated the heart of the issue. More than just the heart. You can really Speaking get your hands around this. <laughs> Speaking of penetrating, good grip. <laughs> How about the the death of Blue Lips? Um, yeah, I thought that was sad. He's a tragic character. Yeah, yeah. 
That, that's all I have <laughs> to say about him. Um, concluding thoughts. There's a lot of things to enjoy about about Dungeons and Dragons. I, I feel like there's a wealth of of characters, a multitude of of storylines and morals to take away. I I mean the tagline of the film says you know. Pop up. This is no game. <laughs> and it's really true. It's really true. You the know, people think of Dungeons and Dragons as just some, some you know, game for nerds in a treehouse with dye and pimples and grid paper. But Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew. Yeah. But in this this film, I feel really proves that it's no game. It's no laughing matter. And particularly following the death of snails, the whole film takes a very different tone. A dark tone. It's much more serious. It's much more serious. You realize how high the stakes are. I mean, I was quite moved by it. I, I opened the podcast by referring to it as one of the great adventures of our time, and I, I stand by that comment. It's... Okay, but you do, you do think that there is some connection between the film, the plot, the characters... And the actual game Dungeons and Dragons, because the whole time I was searching for some connection, sure, they could have just called this like adventure of. <laughs> no, no, I have. I don't <laughs> even want to grace this thing with a with a cool sounding title. But what made it? What connected it to Dungeons and Dragons? There it was just a shitty fantasy movie. Both Dungeons and Dragons. Yes, but there are Dungeons <laughs> and Dragons in Willow. There are Dungeons. There are Dragons. And Willow was a dwarf. There are dwarves. Yeah, well, there are elves. Dwarf. There were. There elves. Are Beholder? Skulls. What's Beholder? There were oh, that's that floating <laughs> skull? Yeah. What the hell was that about? It was just floating around. Oh, doing its that own like part thing. of the game? Yeah, yeah, that's a oh. major part of the game. Beholder. Beholders, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll take your word for it. There were Beholders and there were, um, what else? I mean, there were, there were spells. Uh, she, they name the spells that are cast. Thieves Guild. Occasionally, occasionally, when they cast a spell, they'll say out loud the name of the spell, which is an homage to the the game. I think Willow had all of these elements, uh, but we're not talking about Willow Pop. We should we're talking be talking about Dungeons and Dragons. We should. Look, be this can be up in the pantheon of adventure movies with Willow. <laughs> it's apples and oranges here. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll turn it. Turn the floor over to you, Pop Pop. Closing thoughts. Uh, I give this film a D minus. Oh, um, we're doing grades. No, grades at the end. Oh, okay. grades at the end. <laughs> Closing <laughs> thoughts then grades. Closing thoughts then grades. I oh. guess I guess we did just we did just go over my closing thoughts. I, I really don't understand why they called this film what they called it. Um, it was really disappointing. Yeah, it was horrible. I'd, I'd rather watch Willow. Well, I think you know you have to admire a film that is this intellectually ambitious and sophisticated to tackle this many important themes. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, they just tried to do too much, you mm -hmm. know, three, four, five themes, but when you're <laughs> up in almost the double digits, they just, they couldn't pull it off. And, you know, to be fair, we didn't watch all the deleted scenes, so maybe they did a better job of wrapping it all together, but I would say... You can't judge it on its deleted scenes. Yeah. No. A good effort. Okay. A little ahead of its time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and just barely broke even at the box office, apparently. Uh, do you have any other factoids you want to throw in before we close out? Um, you, mentioned, you mentioned that Leia was the homecoming queen. Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, Zoe McClellan. Actually, her name, uh, Z-O-E, she pronounced it Zoe, like Joe. Mm -hmm. so yeah, or like Joey. Scott Zolak's nickname, Zoe. 
okay. Um, yeah, she was a homecoming queen at her high school. Where was that? In Washington State. I don't know when it was. was she, she field trip? Or maybe pretty, if we could have some listeners phone in from yeah. Washington State, if anyone's familiar with You think Zoe is listening? Maybe she could uh, call in and enlighten us. I doubt it. Uh, filming locations, uh, apparently they spent a lot of time in Czech Republic and under the streets of Prague. Uh, overall, um, overall, I give this film a, a D minus. That's all I have to say. All I right. want to forget about it as quickly as possible. <laughs> all right. Um, Red Bandit, grades? Uh, I'm going to go B minus here. Mm -hmm. yeah. a, a solid effort, but a little too ambitious for its own good. <clears throat> I'm gonna I'm gonna build on that that sentiment. I I feel like if anyone who's a fan of the Star Wars films, the Indiana Jones films, and the Lord of the Rings films has really found the ultimate motion picture in Dungeons and Dragons. It's all those movies, which I believe represents what uh, thirteen films. Yeah, you know, literally takes scenes out of them. <laughs> And then just so makes take, it into a pate of bland. If you take goodness. if you take thirteen excellent movies and put them into one Dungeons and Dragons picture, uh, this this is the one. I agree with uh, the Red Bandit that the they they got a little bit over ambitious trying to fit all that greatness into one film. So I have to give it a a minus. God. Uh, on, <laughs> I hope that the, these insights uh, helped our audience uh, understand Dungeons and Dragons a little bit better. This is the Possum Times signing out. This has been the Possum Times. Hey Possum Times fans, Double T's here. You can reach out to the Possum Times gang via email at possumcast at gmail.com and via Twitter at possumcast. Let me, the Red Bandit, and Pop Pop know what you're thinking. Suggestions for movies to review are welcome.